the tortoise-shell comb the fantasy of a mad brain by royalston markham from weird tales april 1923 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org read by dale grothman the tortoise-shell comb by royalston markham well, the ghosts of the men hung at Isertillet have company. For myself, I wouldn't even want a photograph of the place. No, sir, not me. I can remember it without that. That's why they put me in this hospital with all these crazy people. Yet a tortoise-shell comb is as good an alibi as any. What? Ghosts? No, sir, of course not. I don't believe in them not on this side of the atlantic whoever told you i believed in ghosts the hospital intern if they'd a kept me round the chateau in the woods at isser to lay it might have been different it had a queer story about it that chateau that's what set me off that and the fact that i never did like captain bott he was hard-boiled that guy was no sir he did not own that french chateau although at one time he acted as though he thought he did i'm coming to that over there the frog said the original owner of the place in his youth had fallen madly in love with a young girl and married her he must have been crazy about her all right because according to their story he often was seen combing her hair yes sir the french folks are like that that's romance combing her long red hair as it hung over the back of her chair touching the floor i particularly remember that they said her hair was long very long and red like copper is red in candlelight after a year she died suddenly of heart disease killed by love itself one of the frogs said that's romance and he her husband the owner of the chateau there in the woods at isser tillet left that part of the country on the very day of her funeral the place probably is there yet like it was when i saw it late in the summer of nineteen eighteen the house was set back from the road among the trees it looked then as though it had been deserted for a long time most of the furniture had been removed from it except in one room i'm coming to that and the gate leading into the yard had fallen open on one rusty hinge glass filled the paths and you couldn't tell the flower beds from the lawns except by the weeds nobody had used the place even in wartime until our outfit was billeted at isser tillet that ghost story of the dead bride begging someone to comb her hair had kept the frenchies off the place but captain bott was a hard-boiled guy we went into the house late one afternoon captain bott and me he led the way into the kitchen and through the first floor into a large hall where the stairs went up to the floor above dust was over everything the only room in the house that looked at all as though it had been occupied in years was that bedroom upstairs where they had told us the bride had slept and died we recognized it because it was the only room in the house where the door was shut we opened it that is captain bott did 
and went in. I stood in the doorway until he swore at me and ordered me to follow him in. The room smelled moldy. It smelled dead. It was a fine room for a ghost. It was dark in there, and gradually my eyes got accustomed to the gloom enough to make out that there was a bed in it. On the captain's orders, I went to the window to open it for light, but I had to break the rusty hinges of the outside shutters before I could loosen them. At the court-martial inquiry, they wouldn't believe me when I said that was the only reason I went into the room on the captain's orders. The room was on the north side of the house, and the sun was setting, so opening the window didn't help much. There was pillows and a mattress and sheets, yellow sheets, yellow from age, on the bed. The chairs seemed all in confusion. There was another door in that room, probably leading to a closet. It was closed. Captain Bott went over and felt of the mattress and patted the pillows. The pillows on which they had said the bride's head, nestled in its mass of copper-colored hair, had rested when she died. Captain Bott was hard-boiled, like I said. He didn't believe in ghosts. He said it was the best shakedown he'd seen in weeks. I'll damn soon get a good night's rest, he said, and he ordered me to go for some candles in his stuff, and when I got back, I was to clear the place up. I went. I was glad to go, but I hated like hell to return. When I did get back into the house, it was twilight, and, inside, as dark as a cat's belly. Downstairs in the kitchen, I lighted one of the candles and held it before me in one hand, the other being occupied with the captain's luggage. Then I went through the first floor into the large hall, where the stairs went up to the floor above. In the light of my candle at the landing, I saw that the door into the bedroom was closed again, as it had been the only room in the house where the door was shut when we first went up there together, the captain who didn't believe in ghosts, and I, who did, all over there. No, sir, of course not. I don't believe in them on this side of the Atlantic. But in the woods that served to lay at night, that's different. It must be worse since they hung those men there, and with Captain Bott who thought the bed of the dead bride was a handsome billet. He was sure hard-boiled, that guy. I hated him for it. When I left him to go for the candles, that door had been open. When I returned, it was closed. I didn't like to open it again, but he was alone there in the dark in that bedroom. I knew that if I waited for him to come to open the door, stumbling across the chairs and things he sure would cuss me out that's the hell of being a private and a servant to an officer no white man likes it so finally i opened the door with the hand which held the candle everything seemed as before but so quiet my ears were straining for sound like they used to do at a sudden cessation of barrage firing but i heard nothing nothing at all and the place smelled moldy. It smelled dead. It was a fine room for a ghost, I thought of it then. And as I stepped across the threshold, I noticed that the other door in the room, probably that of the closet, was open. It had been closed. I thought perhaps that the captain had opened it while I was gone. 
It wasn't so dark when I left him as when I returned, and maybe he would have been snooping around a bit, out of curiosity, perhaps. I'm not curious like that, but Captain Bott was hard-boiled, and he didn't believe in ghosts. All these things I'm telling you about what I saw and thought and felt, they wouldn't hardly listen to at the court-martial inquiry. I don't know how long it was from the time I lighted the candle in the kitchen downstairs until I stood with it in the doorway of the bedroom of the dead bride. Not very long, probably, because the melted candle grease was just beginning to run hot onto my fingers when I turned and glanced toward the bed, wondering why the captain had kept so damn quiet. It wasn't like him. And there he was, lying across the bed on his back, the tips of his shoes just touching the floor. Asleep? No. I don't know how I knew he wasn't asleep. The court-martial inquiry kept asking me that. But I saw he had something wound around his neck, something that glinted in the candlelight, like the braid of a woman's copper-red hair. And his hands were above his head. One of them clutched a tortoise-shell comb. I knew he wasn't asleep. I knew he was dead. How I knew? I can't tell you, nor any damn court-martial inquiry on earth. God knows they drove me crazy enough, asking me that, and what else I saw. Didn't I see nothing else? No, but I thought I heard or felt something move near the black hole where the other door opened, yawning into the closet. My candle went out. Maybe it was only the night wind from the window. I dropped it. I dropped the bundle of things belonging to Captain Bott. I crossed the threshold. I went down the stairs in the dark, running. I fell at the bottom. I remember that, and I told the court-martial inquiry so. T'was about the only thing those smug guys believe that I told them. But I was on my feet and out of the house before I knew I had fallen. Ha! I can see it. You, too, think I'm soft-boiled. So did the court-martial inquiry. That's why they sent me here, among these crazy people. But say, buddy, don't believe what the hospital intern tells you. He's crazy like the rest of them. He's as hard-boiled, too, as Captain Bott was. And that guy was so hard-boiled he didn't believe in French ghost stories. That nut you just talked with tells his story to anyone who will listen, the intern remarked casually as we returned to the office of the Commandant of the Army and Navy Insane Asylum. Probably you think you've heard a cracking good ghost story, but what you really heard was the confession of a crazy murderer who ought to have been the third on the gallows at Isertelay. Isn't there a haunted chateau in Isertelay? And didn't the officer he tells about die in the bedroom there? Oui, ma certaine as the frogs have it. But if the chateau isn't haunted, it ought to be. There's a story in the village of the bride's death there, and Captain Bott died there all right enough. But that thing they found twined around his neck, like the braid of a woman's copper-red hair, was in fact real copper. Copper wire stolen from a lineman's kit. It might have looked like hair to a crazy man. But the comb, I persisted. What about the tortoise-shell comb? That? 
Oh, the nut stole that, too. It belonged to one of the girls in town whom the private knew before the captain beat his time with her. The End of The Tortoise Shell Comb by Royalston Markham